But you're not paying for me to open the door five times and answer my phone 25 times. You're paying for every inspection I have ever been to. You're paying for every fine home building. You've had every time I've been on a job site, every time I've stood with a tile setter and said, wow, what are we gonna do about that? And come to a solution. And I don't know which part of that you're gonna need in your transaction today, but I'm bringing it all. everyone, Michael Conrad here with the Business of Homes podcast, where each week we bring you stories of entrepreneurship and the business side of real estate. Today, we have Amy Gill of Gill and Jones Real Estate. And Amy and I have known each other for a long time, and she has occupied a number of different roles within and around the world of construction and real estate. And so she is someone who is perfect to sort of dig into the business behind it all because she's seen so much of it. Amy is a designer. Uh, she was a builder. She is an accomplished agent and runs a really great team and is someone who really touches that multifaceted part of real estate that makes her great. And we're going to go down the rabbit hole a little bit to try to figure out what is it that makes an agent more and more successful in today's day and age. So come along with us. What goes on behind the scenes? Because real estate is such a giant bucket. Um, and there are so many people that accidentally get in it because of this one way, or they mm -hmm. get in it and they think it's this, but in fact, they end up doing this other thing. You know, and so I, I like the stories about what fuels people and makes the entrepreneurial and the business side of it um, kind of come alive. And for well, also people get into it for different reasons but they also serve their clients in different ways. So when, hmm. because you're an agent, right? You're acting on behalf of someone else. You're going to connect with different people because of your life experiences than someone else may. And so it's not just how you got into it, but what you provide because of how you got into it or whatever your background is, which is why we need so many different kinds of agents. To serve the different types of people? Yeah. I guess that starts to beg a question that almost takes you to like an art conversation. Do we serve the people with what they want or do we lead them into a place where they need to be? You know, does the consumer get to consume what you provide them or do they consume what you want because you tailored it to them? I mean, that's sort of the age old art conversation, right? Of like art nouveau and avant-garde, you know, always pushing the edge of the envelope and saying, no, don't give the, the populist, you know, people what they want make sure that you are inspiring and leading because they don't know what they want. And so does the consumer know what they want? Um, I don't, I wouldn't ever want to phrase it that way. <laughs> um, I think that buying a house or selling a house, but usually buying more, the buying part is a journey of self-discovery. So there's, I think a rude saying in real estate that buyers are liars. And I think that is patronizing and rude and says so much more about the agent than it does about the buyer. Mm. I think it's that people don't know what they want. So the first time someone comes to me and asks, you mean to help them find a house? I have some questions that I'll ask them and they, they can usually like rattle off, you know, I want a three, two and I want a yard and I want to be in the, but we're going on this journey together. I rarely sell someone the first house they see, right? Not because, 
I'm a bad agent or I'm a fit inefficient or something, but because they don't know yet. And I don't know yet what it is they're really looking for. They don't know what questions they want to ask about the house yet. They don't know what questions they want to ask about what they want out of life yet and how that house or that condo fits into their life. So I wouldn't see myself as like giving them, like knowing better and giving them what they want as much as I'm helping them uncover it so does within the buyers, themselves. Does the buyers or liars sentiment, is, is it buyers are naive? Is that, is that what's underneath? That? Oh, sorry. Yeah. I think it's um, usually when people say it, it's like, well, someone comes in and they say, I want a condo and I want to spend 400,000 and I want it in Bellevue and you end up selling them um, a standalone house in Mount Julian. It's like buyers are liars. Like, no, they're not. They thought they wanted this and they went shopping and they asked some questions about themselves and they stood in the space and they thought, my gosh, I could never live here. And they didn't know that about themselves because they haven't had the opportunity to stand in what they thought they wanted and think about it and ask like, well, where would my bicycle go? Or how would I get my groceries? Or whatever the question is that leads them on this different path. It's not that they're lying. It's not they're wasting our time. It's just they don't know yet. It's the process. It's the process. And to me, what I enjoy is the process. And what I really enjoy is helping people who would choose something I would never choose and love it and just see how much they love it and the way it fits in with their lives. And it, it's really helped me see the world in a different way. It's almost like when we talk about why it's so important to travel, because you see all these different ways that people it live. Your view. It expands your view. But if you travel, you can very easily just see what you want to see, right? Yeah, your version of the traveling. You can you can just be the tourist and you can you can eat at the same you can eat at Chili's here and you can eat Chili's there, right? Like maybe. But what I get out of working with buyers is I see all these different ways that people imagine their lives. And it's beautiful to them. Without giving too many specifics, there is a particular subdivision that I have driven by. I've lived in Tennessee for almost 20 years. And I have driven by this subdivision with some regularity and thought, that is my version of hell. And I'm not really being hyperbolic. <laughs> and... um I was introduced to someone who needed to sell a property there. And I thought, oh, good. I can get them out of there at least. She cried. It was her dream home. She was so sad to leave it. It was everything that she could want. And because of her life story, it was everything. And I got to see that house in that subdivision through a completely different lens. Mm. And that challenged me and my prejudice Right? Like that was somebody's dream home. Like, to could, each his own. To each his own. And I think that's a really, it's a really humbling responsibility that we have as agents to go on that journey with people and to go on that journey with ourselves. If we're open-minded, you know, if, if, if we're open-minded enough to listen <laughs> and hear what they're saying. Because sometimes it's really quiet. Sometimes people are very loud about what they want. Sometimes it's, it's quiet and you don't like, we're not, we're not, we're not finding it. I've shown them eight things that they say is what they want, but she's holding back. She's not quite committing. 
I haven't asked the right question yet. She's not, she doesn't know how to tell me what it is. And that to me is the fun part of real estate. You bring up an interesting concept because we here on this podcast try to dig in to the business side of things. And inevitably, when you're talking about the difference between, say, um, being a craftsman or having a business or being an artisan or having a business, there's this differentiation between having process Mm -hmm. that sort of drives and undergirds your Mm -hmm. practice versus a certain level of customization, which is allowed to and really should exist in sort of craftsmanship and artisanship and, you know, these sorts of things we think about. And so... What you describe is these essentially custom experiences on repeat mm-hmm. where you are truly this shepherd sort of ushering people from sort of one place to the next. It's it's very, you know, Greek mythos sort of Charon, you know, sort of a thing. And in that there is beauty. You know, Charon isn't a good or bad figure. He is you know, the wayfarer that mm-hmm. takes you from one place to another. And so this idea of business practice, though, how do we begin to create identity in what we do, brand, mm-hmm. to codify what represents us and why people might be attracted to us? If we are continuing to practice, how do we wrestle with this idea of business process, which is repetition? Mm-hmm. Yep whilst also not overly injecting ourselves in those biases and those prejudices? Well, I think this is where the art comes in. Mm. Because I, I do have a process. I do. And I have questions that I ask pretty consistently. Maybe a different way for this person or that person, but there is a process. And I set the process up at the beginning. I like to meet with people, not at a property. I like to ask them questions. I like to show them things. I have them show me things. There's a process. I don't like it to feel overly rigid. Canned, yeah. Right? Because someone is entrusting me with the place where they will have their most intimate moments, the place where they will have their dinners with their family, where they will raise their children. That is a real... like. It's, it's the most intimate place we own, right? And it's also our largest investment. So it's, it's, a, it's both mm-hmm. emotional decision and a financial decision. I just don't like the process to be so forward mm. that it feels like someone's on a conveyor belt. But I am moving them along. And I will say, that house is not what you're looking for. We're not going to go see that. Or this one we're going to go see. I will walk into a house and say, this is not it. But I, I don't want people to feel like they're on a conveyor belt. You bring your experience to bear as shepherd without forcing, heavy-handing, or overwhelming. Yeah. Because I think there's also a, a level of trust that has to be there. Mm. Um, if I've told you not to buy the last five, when we walk in the right one and I say, oh, I think this is it, well, you trust me. Now, I'm, I didn't tell you not to buy the last five because I was planning to tell you to buy number six and like, this is a process. And I, again, it's, it's tailored to the person, but I think there is this level of trust that has to, to develop. The relationship has to develop. 
so that they can trust me when I say. Okay, so we can begin to zoom out and mm-hmm. look at what you're describing as this sort of essentially human and what you call a self-discovery process that you're shepherding people upon. And it feels extremely relational, which is, I think, why real estate has such a wide mass appeal, Mm -hmm. is that we're all essentially, in different gradations, relational beings Mm -hmm. seeking deeper relationships. And if we can use relationships to get us further in business or monetarily, that seems attractive, right? Mm -hmm. But we know from experience that this is not the case um, for some, and it's difficult to practice, and not everyone who begins their journey in real estate is able to continue it for long term. Mm-hmm. And so this nuance of shepherding through a journey or creating a process but not making it feel like a conveyor belt, mm-hmm. that's the nuance. That's the difficulty. That's the trick of it. Because many fail at trying to achieve what you're talking about. It's either too process-driven, it's too clinical, Mm -hmm. it's too hollow. But they just feel like they're being sold. Right. Yeah. Pushed in one direction Mm -hmm. or another. Or it remains essentially custom and very human, but it is scattered and not driven forward with any sort of moving energy and certainly is unscalable. Yes. What you got in not having real estate experience because no one has a real estate experience before they gets in. That's what's so interesting about it. But how did you learn to f- strike this balance? Because it's easy to fall on either side. Yeah, I think for me, it was that I didn't get in real estate with the intention of getting into real estate. So we were building and um, essentially paying a salary, a, a labor salary in commission. And the last one that we did with our agent, we were asked to negotiate with the buyer directly. So... Uh, well, I'll just get my license. Like a lot of people, I'm just gonna get my license because how hard is it to be a realtor? Um, and the next house we did, uh, someone called me who didn't get it um, and said, could, could you help me find something? And I thought, um, that's not really why I got my license. I can't sell. I'm not a salesperson because the last thing, this is another part of my story, but the last thing I had had to sell was the Memphis Symphony Orchestra to regional performing arts centers mm. in Arkansas and Tennessee. And so while I was able to sell the orchestra that I don't think there's really anything harder to sell. Also, it was in the Great Recession. So I didn't really think I could sell. I don't know. Selling toner cartridges in the early 2000s like I did, that was pretty hard. Phone sales. Selling an orchestra? <laughs> Maybe harder. (laughs) Maybe harder. Um, But I thought, okay, yeah, I'll I'll do this. Um, And I discovered a lot of what we're talking about. I was just helping her solve the problem. I need need a place to park some money. I need a place for my children to rent from me. Like I I need to solve these sort of financial and personal problems. And I want to be in this area. And I don't really know much about houses. Well, I knew a lot about houses by this point. And I knew about the area she wanted to be in and I had some rental properties. So I kind of knew about that. And so I discovered I had information to impart to her Mm. that was valuable to her and that helped her. And then, and then this is, this is where I think the difference is between the agents that succeed relationally and that don't, I helped her find the house. We became really good friends. I'm still good friends with her son to this day. Um, And that was over eight years ago. I'm not in, the relationship is not transactional. So I'm still in touch 
on a pretty personal basis with most of my clients from eight years ago. Um, they know that they can call me. They need a painting recommendation. They need, they don't know what to do with, you know, a plumbing problem. They want to show me the bathroom that they just renovated that we talked about. And they want to show me what they did. And I'm excited to come see it. Um, I love that. <laughs> I love it so much when people call me five years later and think about me, like, and know that I'm going to answer the phone and I'm going to help them. And I don't want anything from it in return because it is a relationship. And I was there to help them place their family in this wonderful house. And I did believe in the investment. And so I'm not afraid to pick up the phone when they call. And I still want to be their friend because I care about them and their family still. Um, And I have met some really fabulous people doing this business. I met you yeah, in this business. Uh, And I just think that is such an honor and a privilege. And I think, but because it's natural, I want to continue the relationships. There are also processes behind it. I do plan out when I'm going to touch people and how I'm going to touch people. I'm going to touch them in a soft way. I'm going to touch them in a number, a numerical sort of data way. And I'm going to alter those. And I'm not perfect. Like I wish I could say that I can think of everybody in my database every day without any prompts. That is not the case. I do require a system. A system. To help me do what I want to do anyway. Yeah. The relationship piece, it continues to be the pulsing heart of why so many of us got in. Mm -hmm. But I will admit it's sometimes difficult to keep your eye on the prize. Business, especially at scale, requires compromises and sacrifices that uh, attack you know, those original sensibilities Mm -hmm. of like serving others and enjoying those relationships. And that's definitely been, I think, difficult in an ever changing market. Mm -hmm. We're never promised a static market, not at any stretch of the imagination, but um, it's been difficult to figure out how to balance those things. And it's really cool to see someone like yourself that's been participating in so many different capacities in real estate and finding great relationships in that. And and I think going back to the very beginning, you said, oh, when I got in, but your story of getting in is really interesting because it wasn't because you were needing a change or something like that. It was out of necessity. And then all of these things came together. And so design is one of those elements that has continued to float to the surface as an is an impactful and important piece of your business practice. It's a, it's a flavoring that's uniquely you that I think is a big draw for folks. Mm-hmm. And so how does that intersect with these relationships? Do you find that that's tip of the spear or is that, I mean, that comes along later now, this sort of design presence? I think in some ways it's tailored to the client and mm-hmm. what their needs are, but the design presence allows like my, interest. I love houses. I love people and I love houses. Totally. These things kind of go together. Um, so I think because I love houses, I can, I can appreciate and articulate for people when they're walking through a house, what it is they like or they don't like about this house. Mm. Well, all the windows faced West. So the, the light's really harsh here, isn't it? Yes. 
that's why you don't feel calm here. Or the light, the light's so soft. We're getting it from two directions, south and east. And that's, we can talk about those things. Um, I also just have solutions because I have worked because I don't just design, I manifest Mm -hmm. the designs. Um, I can hold their hand through it and say, you know, this is how we can get it done. I have this person. I can say we need to refinish the floors. It's running about $1.75 a square foot to Santa Fe. You know, I can give. And so right there, while we're making the decision, do we buy this house? Do we not? Can we afford it? I can give them a pretty quick idea of what it's going to cost because I just paid it yesterday. Mm. Um, so it's not hypothetical, you know, real, I think realtors are accused of always depressing the prices to accomplish. Oh, to soften the blow or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. cause they want to make the sale. So we're, we're going to depress how much it would actually cost right. to get something we'll take the done. Bottom part of the range. Yeah. Uh, and I can help them decide we should do this now. Hey, just don't, don't do that now. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think also on this, we've talked a lot about the buy side on the sell side. Um, I have the abilities to, to make properties really pretty. Mm. Um, I'm fortunate to have a lot of clients with great taste. So that makes it easy. And also I can get, Properties that might be a little more dated, need a little more help. A little zhuzh. A little zhuzh. And we can do the things. Um, But also because I love buyers so much, I can see houses through buyer's eyes when I'm working with the seller. And and that's, again, where it's like kind of the behind the scenes part of my business and the process. I keep working with buyers so I can be good with sellers. Mm. Um. Cause a lot of times agents will stop taking buyers as they get more experienced. That's for the young agents. I'm not going to do that anymore. I, I disagree with that. Mm. Um, one of the other reasons I got into real estate from building was I had designed a house and I'd only ever li- lived in historic houses. So I'd never had decent closets and I'm not really a closed horse anyway. So I didn't think I'm mean, walk-in closets and go on the record are a waste of space. Because circulation in a design takes up square footage. Why do we need to walk in? I gave these two beautiful front-loading closets that were far more linear feet of hanging space than you would have gotten in the same square feet of a walk-in closet. And do you know how many times I heard that we're not buying that house because it doesn't have a walk-in closet? I've heard this story before. People love a walk-in closet. They love a walk-in closet. And so I thought, "Mm, well, it doesn't matter what my opinion is. I need to find out what the market thinks. What do the people want? What do the people want? Because ultimately that's what I'm here for is to serve the end user. So that was one of the other reasons why I got into, once I started showing and realized, okay, I'm, I'm not trying to cold sell an orchestra in the great recession. Um, I can sell. I need to know more. What can I learn? I can learn a lot about how people think by just listening and asking questions of buyers. And that helps inform the houses I design. Hmm. Hopefully for the better. Hey everyone, it's Jake, director for the Business of Homes podcast. I hope you have been enjoying today's episode, starting with creating the balance between business processes and personal biases, what makes an agent successful in their relationships, and how Amy's understanding of design helps her put words to her clients' thoughts. 
When we return, Michael and Amy dive into how to become irreplaceable by technology, training her team to provide the same value as a more experienced agent, and the importance of understanding the home itself. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Business of Homes Pod, where you can interact with us and see some great bite-sized pieces from all of our episodes. For you listeners out there, did you know our entire podcast are filmed and are on our YouTube channel? Check it out next time you want to see our amazing guests tell their stories. And are you currently watching this episode in video format? Don't forget to follow us on your preferred audio streaming service to take us with you on the go. Lastly, do you have any feedback or want to suggest someone for the show? Email us at thebusinessofhomespodcast at gmail.com. Please enjoy the rest of today's episode with Amy Gill. Let's get back to it. Okay, so you're beginning to present a very compelling argument for a realtor to not just be a shepherd or a salesperson, but to be a multifaceted practitioner of all things houses. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the reasons why I've enjoyed working with you over the years is that you do bring a multi-angle perspective. You look at it from investment. You look at it from you know, design from build, from sales, from buyers, from mm -hmm. sellers. And so I'm not sure that every agent can be that, but you're beginning maybe accidentally to make a case for the future generation of real estate agents to be more knowledgeable mm -hmm. of those little things, whether it's having a buyer's eye when providing listing advice or whether it's knowing how exactly and who exactly to get to fix said listing before it goes to market. It could be to provide that buyer with um, a chance to say, you haven't found anything that you like, but if we made these adjustments, all of a sudden three more options become real options. And so we go from zero to three with adjustments, but adjustments yeah. means construction. It means money. It means time. It means, you know, design. And so if I'm hearing you correctly, why aren't we seeing the rise of more multifaceted agents who are dipping deeper into these um, areas of expertise, whether it's design or mm -hmm. construction? I don't know if I can answer why we're yeah. not seeing it, but I can say the iBuyer has gotten people all up in arms. The answer to this is not lowering our commission structure. It's not working for less. The answer is, making sure that you're providing something that you are adding value mm. to the user, to the, to the buyer, to the seller. What is it that I can do that um, an iBuyer can't? Well, I can tell you how to read an inspection report. I can tell you how to get it taken care of. Like I can give you the phone numbers. I can help you after the fact. I can help you Got that? I'm not gonna come get your bathroom, but I can help you get that bathroom. Got it? Um, or I can help you either buy the investment property or convert that single family home into that you've been living in your residence into your investment vehicle because I've done all these things. Will I sometimes lose out to an i buyer or um, you know a single a limited service listing agreement? Sure. 
that wasn't my client and that's okay. If someone mm. wants to list for $500 and that's all the service they need, that is absolutely what they should do. Um, there are a lot of other people that want more support. And I find, interestingly enough, there's a little bit of a generational divide in this. Mm. I find that baby boomers are more likely to want to do it by themselves, but millennials and Gen X and, and Gen Y, they're accustomed to having lots of data. And so just having data isn't quite as sexy. It doesn't scintillate like it does mm. for older generations. What they want is help understanding the data. They want curated the, experience. They want the curated experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, for me, when I first got into real estate, um, I didn't know enough people to launch a career. So uh, once I had decided I was going to, to be a real estate agent, not just kind of have my license, I bought Zillow leads. And the first leads that I was able to buy were all downtown condos. And I didn't feel like I had anything any value to add. Mm. They didn't need to know what a soffit was. They didn't need to know really how to read an inspection report, like the water heater works, right? Like there's not much. Everything's concrete, right. <laughs> what I really liked was working in East Nashville and the older homes because I knew some, I could add value. And that's, I think, why people come back to me. Sure. Yeah, I think uh, you'll hear no argument from me. I've built a career on trying to uh, create a, a all-in-one, one-stop shop experience. I I truly believe in it, and um, I learned this from someone else a long time ago. I I sort of um, was struggling to figure out value versus service, and just kind of heady conversation. And they were saying, if you always add more value, then price just kind of goes away mm -hmm. as a part of the conversation. Yep. And ultimately, you know, price becomes these very difficult, memorable pieces for all of us as consumer. We always remember what we spent on that piece of consumer technology or that car or that whatever. But um, an even more powerful emotion is those experiences. Mm -hmm. um, and I say this as sort of a uh, Gen X, elder millennial, whatever I am. And so this is maybe generational, but ultimately these lasting impression of being able to assist someone in a multifaceted mm -hmm. kind of way. And I think perhaps if there is some sort of underlying zeitgeist of frustration with the realtor profession, perhaps the wording is rather let's add more value, not yes. let's reduce right. whatever the perceived concept of like should or should not be commissioned. Because then we're just whatever. competing against a computer. <laughs> right. And, and we will lose that. And we eventually. will lose that. Yeah. If, if that's all we're doing, we just become a lackey and I don't want to be a lackey. Right. So we are growing. I have a teammate, um, Pete Jones, and then we're adding to our team. And right now at this, this very week, I've been writing mentoring programs for them to make sure like we're going through the parts of the houses, we're going through the components, we're going through styles, we're going through roof styles so that they have language to describe what it is they're seeing. Oh, you don't like gambrel roofs. You only like gable roofs. Like I want to make sure that my team knows these words, but also like we're breaking down the components of an HVAC system. I don't have an HVAC license. It's not, it's, it's high level, right? Like, but I want to make sure that they understand what, what do these words mean? so that they can add the same value. So kind of coming back to your earlier question, why don't more agents 
have a multifaceted approach. I don't know, but this is what I'm doing about it. We're talking a lot with them about investing. They may not have investment properties yet, but we're, I'm transparent with my finances. Like these are my investment properties. This is what it looks like. Let's look at that together. Here's, here's my lease. Do you need the copy of this lease? And I'm also always telling them stories about, I ran into this problem. This is how I solved it. Like, what do you think? Like trying to get them up to speed really quickly about things that they may not yet have the life experience that I do because I'm older. Um, But to make sure that anybody who's working with me can give that multifaceted approach to anybody that we're working with. Because I do think it is the future of real estate. Yeah, this, I think we're consolidating as consumers. Certainly we have become accustomed to things being consolidated. Mm-hmm. You know, we uh, shop at stores, both online and in person, that have a wide variety of disparate products mm-hmm. so that it's easy. It's one trip, you know, or one website. And so it, it's no surprise to me that, you know, as we continue consumer behavior into services, that we want companies or practitioners who can offer a wider range of knowledge, a wider range of service, mm-hmm. a wider range of context. Um, and we were all young and unexperienced one time. And, and I remember in a very blunt sort of, or, you know, not intelligent sort of way, knowing that I had to overcome experience and age deficit mm-hmm. with information. Yep. Information was going to be the key of how I dug myself out of that hole mm-hmm. until I could get the life experience yep. to have the gut to be able to share my gut feeling with someone. And so I think that's a great encouragement for listeners here who are you know, in their journey, whether they're going back to the bench to sharpen or whether they are, you know, new, it's information will always be king. And in this particular respect, it's education and depth of knowledge Mm -hmm. that ultimately isn't about you being able to lord over a client or a fellow professional with better information. It's knowing how to be sensitive to questions that come up. It's knowing how to shunt you know, their direction into the right other party. It's how to um, speak intelligently so that they can continue their journey of trusting you rather than unfairly pulling up short. It, it would certainly be unfair to a seasoned agent, you know, who was helping a client and they were going through a journey and it was sort of lengthy, but questions arose that that agent was unaware of and they had to say, I don't know, it would be unfair to them for that client to just begin to lose trust. Mm-hmm. But consumer behavior will happen. People will lose trust if you don't know the answers. Um, and so continuing to gird yourself with information, I think, is, is best. And I love that you've gotten a chance to see all parts of it. And, and you skirted over the part where you manifested designs. For all of our listeners out there, that is building. She was an actual builder, building real houses out of the ground. Some of them quite beautiful, if I do see so myself. And that experience of going to job sites and walking around. I mean, here's my encouragement. Anyone who loves houses as much as you and I do, stop driving. When you're in the middle of the road and you see a job site, stop, pull over, walk around. I'm sure that the people who are working there won't mind under many circumstances, perhaps not all. Um, There's also like fine home building. Yes. I read the cover to cover for years and years and years. Or I read every inspection report. Are they, I'm sorry, are they interesting reading? Do I like reading them? 
Absolutely not. They're not bedtime reading. But I read them all. Um, I know a lot of agents that don't think that's their job. One thing I think, I don't like the words, that's not my job. Sort of have a knee-jerk reaction to that. Like, mm. are we sure? Are we sure that's not our job? Um, read the inspection reports. Because it's it's an amazing opportunity to learn how houses work how they fail, mm. what to look for before you go, you know, before you go on the market. So when, when you're at a listing appointment, this is going to come up on the inspection. It would be great if we could go ahead and take care of it. It's cheaper now than when we're under the gun. It's also a great way to build trust with buyers. This is, you know, after you know that they've fallen in love with the house, you sort, or, or maybe they're still deciding. You can kind of soft close them. Sure. But you can also say, this is going to come up on the inspection report. It's not a big deal, but there, this is going, this is going to be there. The inspector is going to ask for X. It means they're already sort of prepping. You're already telling them this beautiful house that you've just fallen in love with isn't perfect. And so you're preparing them in that way. You're not surprised. You didn't just say, this is great. And then you get to the inspection like, oh, I guess it's not so great. Not that that can't happen. I mean, we all have surprises on inspections. But all of this is just about serving the client. It's all about the information that you have that allows you to get to serve them so that they're not surprised, so they have what they need. And it's good for you, too, because you probably have your own house that you need to maintain. Arming yourself with more information about your client, about their needs, about the houses you're looking at, about the house you're trying to sell. You know, all of it is valuable and, and good. The eye buyer, again can't read the inspection report. So if this is something else that you don't do, that the iBuyer also doesn't do, how are you differentiating yourself? The, the buyer is, or the seller is hiring you for your expertise. That's really all we're bringing to the table. A sentry code? Like, I mean, like anybody can have that. It's, it's again, it's a, we're walking through them with, you know, they need to know you're going to put on the inspection report that the outlets aren't grounded. What they need to know from me is this is true of all houses built between 1950. And, and this is very expensive to fix. If you ask for this to be fixed, it's going to cost, you know, it depends on the house, but $35,000, $70,000 easily. Is that your intention? Are you aware that this is the case for any house built in 1960? You weren't aware, but it's critical to you. Okay, now we're only going to look at houses built in 1980. You know, like you have to have that information or you're going to waste time. And that's where like coming all the way back to the beginning, this very customized experience has a process. Mm. The process may be hidden to some extent from the client, but now I have, but if I'm going through this, now I know that we're not buying, we're not looking anymore in Inglewood. Right? We've eliminated Inglewood. Now we're looking at someplace where we can get a house built after 1980, right? Hendersonville or something. We've just changed the search. The buyer isn't a liar. The buyer now has new information. Now they know, wow, I've just found out what an ungrounded system is and I'm uncomfortable with that. Great. Not a problem. So music to my ears, to hear that you're seeking to better contextualize the information. This is wonderful. It's difficult because it's not a widespread action. It is the desire, I think, of the buyer to have the context. Mm -hmm. 
And I would say that it's beholden on a number of the professionals who are involved in the transaction to do that contextualization. But I would say that that lack of context probably leads to the greatest bumps and greatest potholes and greatest upsets Mm -hmm. in sort of the transactional journey, both for professional and for buyer, Mm -hmm. you know, where there's not a sense of like, well, how normal is this? You know, it's like, if we don't read history, we're doing to repeat it because we don't understand the context. Mm-hmm. Well, if we don't have the surrounding history of homes, history of this home, you know, history of buyer behavior, history of financial, you know, things that are coming to bear, we're not going to be able to avoid, you know, those potholes and pitfalls and whatever. And so I'm glad for that. And it's a great encouragement here. We should be constantly back to the workbench, constantly sharpening, constantly educating ourselves so that we can better serve the customers in front of us Mm -hmm. because they are not going to necessarily do the work and it's not beholden upon them to do it. And those that will, we probably won't work with them as much because (laughs) we won't see them or whatever. Or there's just really not time. Right. Um, One of the things I say sort of behind the scenes, this is more like my business partner, our compensation is global. The client sees the 3% for this. And maybe, maybe we got, I don't, even, I don't even want to call it lucky. That's just not how I view it. But maybe we were quick and we found it in five showings in three days. Efficient. Efficient. But you're not paying for me to open the door five times and answer my phone 25 times. You're paying for every inspection I have ever been to. You're paying for every inspection report I've ever read. You're paying for every fine home bill. You've had every time I've been on a job site, every time I've stood with a tile setter and said, wow, what are we going to do about that? And come to a solution, right? And I don't know which part of that you're going to need in your transaction today, but I'm bringing it all. We as practitioners have to find something that is not only uniquely us and different, but has intrinsic value mm-hmm. and to the modern consumer who doesn't eat and breathe and sleep houses and real estate knowledge of course is probably going to be tip of the spear that's going to be one of the easiest ways to achieve value because it's the thing that the consumer is probably missing the most of in the most areas most often and then i would say contextualization solutions provision i mean that's that's got to be right up there well with this i feel like Anyone who listens to this knows how to be successful now. So, all right, we solved all the world's problems. I'm so pleased. It's caring about people and caring enough about them to have the knowledge to give them what they need. My goodness, Amy. Thank you so much for being here. What a treat. It's a pleasure. What a treat. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. Uh, This is Michael Conrad with the Business of Homes podcast. I hope you'll subscribe. I hope you'll stick with us. And I hope you'll hit us up with questions and comments. Or if you want to be on this podcast, let us know. We'll see you next time. Hey, everyone. Jake again, director for the Business of Homes podcast. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. A huge thank you to Amy Gill for being a part of the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your preferred listening platform and make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Business of Homes Pod. Do you have any feedback or want to suggest someone for the show? Email us at thebusinessofhomespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you soon.